In the heart of these animated wonders, there are tales and symbols older and darker than the castle's highest tower. Welcome to Occult Disney. Journey with Paranoid American and Matthew Comagies as they traverse the intricate pathways of alchemy, the shadowed corners of biblical narratives, and the very folklore that birthed these tales. Beneath every brushstroke lie whispers of writers' taboos, the cloak-and-dagger politics of hallowed studios, and secrets held close. Every magic has its price, every kingdom its shadows. Are you prepared to peer beyond the veil? Welcome to the Occult That's Disney That's right, Podcast. folks. It is Occult Disney. We're back. This is Matt here. Over there is the paranoid American. How's it shaking? It's shaking. We're doing okay. How you doing? How's everybody doing? Yeah, yeah. I guess if you're paranoid, you start shaking a little bit sometimes. I don't know. <laughs> it's it's from excitement, though. It's more so for excitement. Excitement over the Lion King? Or just, uh, like, how great conspiracies are getting these days. Like, there's a, <laughs> there's a new one every day, and they keep getting bigger and bigger, and there's more and more people that believe in them. So, yeah, every day is a little bit more exciting. Make your own. I don't know. <laughs> Um, yeah, but today we're going to have a look under the hood of the Lion King, uh, the still the top grossing hand-drawn animated film of all time. Uh, some of the CG ones have surpassed and such. Uh, it never beat Jurassic Park, not that that's animated, but a massive hit. I guess this is pretty much like the biggest hit of the 90s, uh, money-wise in the end. Uh, yeah. What was your first encounter with the lion king i mean i saw it in the theater and uh i remember this being like the go-to whenever the teacher wanted to take a break from class or you got in <laughs> trouble and went to you know the little iss booth outside but lion king was i guess just like a an instant go-to I, i'm actually now i remember it. it was like more of like a disciplinary thing but either way <laughs> It was it was a decent movie when it came out, and I distinctly remember playing the Game Gear version of this and the Sega Genesis game version of this, which were oddly enough also very punishing. I guess my entire experience looking back now was Lion King was always used as a punishment against me in some fashion, but it, it's legitimately it was a good movie, uh, and I I liked it even on the rewatch here. I thought it was even the musical parts I thought were decent. Yeah, what's up with that? It's like at school, it's like, you know, you need to sit up straight or you're going to watch The Lion King. <laughs> well, it, it was more like they had just given up. So by the time you got so far removed into the ISS booth, it was like a separate trailer away from the school. Then like the person that was in charge of babysitting all the troublemakers had also given up. So it was, yeah, I think it was more like good behavior, like. If you don't, if you like, you know, if you act up, then I take the movie off and we all sit here in silence. Ah, so, okay. So the movie's like that. Because I mean, no house teenager really cares about Lion King being on. <laughs> but if that, if that, it's that or nothing, then. See, I, I'd been nested where uh, in high school I, I was like a vice president or president, like the outdoor club, like the Explorer Club. So I could literally just say, hey, I need to go down to the downtown office to get something, you know, because it was like affiliated with the Boy Scouts. And I just disappear for half the day. So, you know, it only takes like a few minutes. I to had a similar in, <clears throat> in, my, in my senior year, I had a similar arrangement where they they first started uh, like a computer programming class. And this is in like the year 2000 or 2001. 
and the teacher didn't know what the hell she was doing. Uh, so I ba- and I guess I was being like a, a little bit of a, an ass, you know, because it was high school, whatever. So I just knew like way more and I ended up just making the website for the whole school and in exchange, I didn't have to go to that class. <laughs> so I would literally for the lot for the last like six months of, of senior year, I only had to show up for one class of the day and then I could just leave for the rest of the time. So, yeah. yeah. And, oh, yeah. And I was doing photography. So the other half of my day just spent in the dark room. It's a Chica. Uh, <laughs> Anyone listen out there that's still going to high school or about to, yeah, <laughs> sign up for like the weird classes that give you an excuse to not be around anyone else. You can literally just go home. Yeah. I can't imagine they have a dark room though anymore. That's too bad. Get the smell of chemicals on your hand. I thought I was going to become Peter Parker or the Spider Man, but I never got, you know, bitten. Yeah, they had, they had a photography in a dark spider. room in, in my high school too, but I didn't, I didn't get into it. No, I know when I first went to university, I was going, I'm going to do photojournalism. I think I really did want to be Spider-Man. Um, but uh, yeah, it's like I get there and I'm like, nope, it's Photoshop. And I'm like, what? That's no fun. And I, and This then, will never die. They're like, actually, it's dead. This is this is the new way. It's already dead, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so then I had to go do the on-the-beat reporter stuff. And I didn't like that. So I, I'm not a journalist. Well, I guess, I, I guess this technically is a sort of journalism. So maybe I did end up doing some journalism in the end. <laughs> If you consider it journalism, then you could be up for an award at some point. So let's just say it's journalism. There we go. We'll get a Pulitzer. Um, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure, like 99% sure I saw this in the theater. I guess my bigger take is remembering it on um, VHS, because this and Forrest Gump, I remember being the first movies that you could easily buy at a reasonable price shortly after the films came out. And that, like, in 1995, because this came out in 94, so the VHS is 95, and that, that kind of blew my mind at the time. <laughs> Just that they had the technology to get it right no, from no. the theater into the... <laughs> well, not that, but that, I mean, you know, you'd rent everything, West Coast Video or, or whatever at the time. <clears throat> I guess blockbusters are showing up by then. But yeah, the fact that I can just go to the Target and like for like 15 bucks, I can like have this movie. I don't have to rent it. Yeah, I guess there was a, a long period of time there where they could, they would almost have the option to keep a movie in the theater for like the whole freaking year if they really wanted to. So then that would delay the the release to video by an extra year. So you might see in a theater and if you missed it, you're waiting like a year and a half, two years before you get a chance to even rent it again. Though the Lion King's draw, uh, I think in 2011, 2013, somewhere around there, they, they released it in 3D, which it was like top of the box office for a few weeks. It actually beat Moneyball as a as a re release uh, its second week. Are you talking about the, and then the, the animated nineteen ninety four Lion King? Yes, it was put into three D and about. But this is not the the quote unquote live action one. Mm-hmm. This was a re release around twenty eleven when three uh, D was still like a big thing. And uh, the Blu Ray, the three D Blu Ray came out like two weeks after, but it just still had quite a draw. But at that point in time, it had enough, I guess cultural catch it that you know people would want to see it on the big screen i wish i would have known i mean i'm down to watch this movie in 3d (laughs) it sounds awesome to be honest yeah yeah i could do that have you seen it in 3d or you just heard about it i i was just read when i was researching for this i was reading about re-releases and it's had several where it's made like twice its money over so um in in japan i 
very rarely see an animated film in the theater because it's going to be dubbed and not subtitled. Or it's going to be completely in Japanese if it's a Japanese film, which, you know, is a little off-putting. I've seen a few movies in Japanese. Um, one of my other podcasting buddies, he'll, he'll go and see the new Godzilla even though he doesn't know what they're saying. So I, I watch all my <laughs> movies in American. I can't, I can't handle anything other than American. Thanks. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. That, you know, if I'm going to watch like a Disney movie, I don't really want it dubbed in Japanese, do I? That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so a lot of the more kid sort of movies I just never see in the theater anymore, which is kind of too bad because an animation on the big screen is pretty cool. Uh, you know, before too long, we'll get to Fantasia 2000, which was released on January 1st, 2000 on IMAX and oh, see that the IMAX worst, is... man. I just want to I just want to say that that when we did our original first episode of Occult <laughs> Disney on Fantasia, I went through cuz you know there's all different versions and everything and I watched like two mm. or three or maybe more of those different versions and that was by far the worst version was Fantasia. I remember like like almost 20 30 minutes in I was just like this isn't what I remember. Like this is garbage. What is this? But when it's being blasted at you on an IMAX screen, right? You know, I, yeah, even worse. Lots of things. <laughs> it's even worse. <laughs> I, for some reason, last night I, um, I fell asleep watching YouTube video playing the Sphere, uh, just for a giant screen to melt your brain. Are you, are you familiar with the Vegas Sphere? Yeah, the 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 new thing that they've got. It's like the biggest projection ball in the world, or something. Yeah, and I was listening to people talking about it. And I'm like. This doesn't even make sense, like like just how it's structured. So watching the video, it's just like, how is this thing actually built? And uh, yeah, after watching a few videos, I did start to feel the layout of the sphere. But I guess you have to be there to. It, I think start- it works, man. It, it legitimately gives me a reason to actually consider Vegas for like an upcoming trip because like I kind of want to go and see it and fly in and like maybe even go to like an event inside of it or something. So I mean that's. That's why it's there, right? To get you talking about it and to maybe entice you. So, well done. Which so which which band would or artist would you like to see in the sphere? Oh, that's a good one, Celine Dion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Celine Dion. Okay, or Tim and Eric, one of those two. Oh, Tim and Eric would make vomit if they were in the sphere. They'd have some insane visual effects, and everyone would get like nausea, you know, like dizziness and nausea. Probably. I've been to a, a Tim and Eric live sh- uh, live performance before. Okay, did they, they make you hurl? Uh, it was stationary, and they didn't have that kind of technology at their <laughs> fingertips. But I'm sure if they did, then yes. But to to bring it back around, yes, I, I if I had had the chance to see The Lion King on an IMAX and 3D, I, I would have, but I didn't. So that's. That's too bad. I mean, I, I have to go to Tokyo for an IMAX screen, which is like a good 150 miles. So, yeah, IMAX doesn't live in my life anymore. Now, if if they wanted to redo Fantasia and try to give it 3D treatment, I'm down to try that because nothing can be worse than that Star Wars Christmas special of a movie that was Fantasia 2000. I kind of like the Star Wars Christmas special, too. I've watched it like five <laughs> times. Sometimes fast forwarding through some of the Wookiee does it start America, ironically but... and then like stop being ironic at a certain point, or is it always watching it ironically? It's well, um, it's seventies variety show production value, so you know it's on an even keel with the Brady Bunch Variety mm-hmm. Hour, basically. So like, like um, laughing or something. 
Carrie Fisher shows up. She, she's by her own admission, whacked out of her mind. Um, they put too much makeup on Mark Hamill and Harrison Ford's in it for two minutes. He can't wait to get out. You know, it's, it's great. <laughs> There's a performance by the Jefferson starship <laughs> and be awesome. There gets like five minutes. <laughs> You do get the Boba Fett cartoon, so people, you know, legitimately like that. But yeah, no, it's 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 a it's a spectacle from start to end. I, I actually do recommend putting on YouTube this holiday season. Okay, so be, uh, so can, better than Fantasia two thousand. In your for you maybe yeah, um, but yeah, you can fast forward through the Wookies because when you see Wookies like Chewbacca's family at his house and they just growl at each other for like twenty minutes and and then. Chewbacca's father goes off to like watch some porno or something that that's not a joke <laughs> <laughs> it was a wild um, time it yeah was a different time okay yes yes anyway we, we should bring it back to Lion King something I didn't know uh doing doing my bit of research is this was kind of the uh b-league film all their experienced animators went to work on Pocahontas because that was the prestige project. That was going to be the the next big Disney movie, and this was kind of the um, the, the, the Lion King actually is kind of a, of a lineage of um, Dumbo before it, and maybe Lilo and Stitch after it, where it was kind of like the and eh, it might even go straight to video. I mean, Dumbo wasn't going to go straight to video, but it was the B team kind of shining, which I think is my favorite disney spot because those three movies are kind of among my favorite disney's so you know what too is being in that b spot especially in the beast of disney which i can speak a little bit to because i was there for 10 years but sometimes being in the b or the c slot is the best slot because you that you have less execs making that their passion project and bringing it home and having like their family and their friends all give creative input and then want to go back into the studio and then relay that input and just get their grimy, greasy little hands all over everything. And they usually don't do that to the B and C projects because those ones, I'm not going to say they fly under the radar because like, you know, they're cutting checks for those things uh, weekly. So it's not like they, they forget that there's this, this money uh, sort of burning thing that's just constantly running. But you get less people that have some sort of an incentive to want to like put their own little two cents in every freaking time. So that's maybe that's where like the B and the C movies end up getting the shine because no one's messing with them. And they could do things that are a little bit weirder, you know. Although I don't think Lion King does too many things too weird, but They're just the subliminal sex messages certainly it. do. Yeah, 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 yeah. A little bit of sex. Gotta gotta put that into your um into your movies. Uh, I am looking here that it says 20% of this movie was animated in Disney MGM's fishbowl, including the I just can't wait to be king sequence. So this was one of the guys that I worked with. I Honestly, I, I don't even want to drop. I don't, I don't remember his name, but I don't want to drop his name either. Uh, but he worked like that was his claim to fame. They'd always be like, oh, that's, you know, that's the guy that worked on the, the Lion King. And he would work alongside us on a bunch of like completely unrelated projects. <clears throat> but... Yeah, this that was like one of my main inspirations of doing what I do now with the with Paranoid American Comics was sitting next to that dude and being like, damn, what if I can get that guy to draw me like an all-seeing eye? Or what if I can get him to, to sketch me like a mind control victim or something? Now he didn't do that, but the guy behind him did. But anyways. <laughs> <laughs> 
Were you, you're the guy behind him. Uh, you said you can't draw, so yeah, no, I, I don't draw anymore at all. I don't even attempt it. Um, I do know. I, I went to, I went to Disney MGM in 1990, the summer of 1994, and see, that's where you know memory is such a weird thing. I'm like, were they showing us Lion King stuff? Were we seeing Pocahontas? A little of both. Because I'm like, oh, yeah, we saw Lion King stuff. But I'm like, well, it was already coming out, so they're probably showing the next film. Um, but that's the the curse of memory. Uh, maybe, but also if, if you were on that back scenes tour that you're talking about, they also, in the mid-'90s, they in the Orlando, you know, Walt Disney World, they had, like, a little animator section that was in the – it wasn't real, but it was, like – in the park and it was like here's where the animators work and it had the little digital tablet with the, like the old school Wacom and all this stuff um, like no one actually worked in that particular spot you know it was like a <laughs> it was like a showpiece kind of thing but in there um, and it was right across from where the Little Mermaid ride was like right across was a little like animation nook but they were they would promote like even slightly older stuff through there because that gave it extra legs, right? Now it's now it's not okay. The Lion King maybe came out last year, but it's not old news because here's some behind the scenes. Here's the actual pen that someone used to draw it, and that that turned into a draw. So they they kept promoting that thing for the next decade, especially yes. in like the back the backstage stuff. Yeah, it's stuck in my memory, obviously. So uh, um, another fun fact about that trip is I had on a trust course almost broken my ankle. Uh, a month before we went to Disney, so I was on crutches completely, and the and the doctor's like, "Okay, you can walk on it a little bit," which fifteen year old dumb Matt thought meant try to not use the crutches anymore. He meant you know put some pressure on it, but I just didn't bring them. We go to Disney, and I'm walking around MGM and Epcot <laughs> just like with this insane limp, and like you know small children running away from me. It was it was fun, <laughs> limping around Disney. Yeah, but you know fifteen, you don't care. Um, a few weeks before that, when I was still using the crutches, I was like playing a, a you know, a show at a, like a scummy club or something. And I remember like I was pogoing around the club on one foot because I didn't want to use the crutches. The owner was like, please, for liability, please use them or sit down. You <laughs> <laughs> just thought you were there for like, a payday. Yeah, uh, maybe. I don't know. <clears throat> Zero to rock. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. It, it, might have been i saw a little bit of both uh i've just recently gotten about how, how weird and how we can redraw our own memories talking about a twilight zone that i'd watched the night before i'm like yeah, at the end of the episode his cat talks to him and in my mind his cat's talking to him and then i was like oh no it's a he, the, my the guy talked to me he's like no it's a parrot i'm like oh god it is a parrot just in 12 hours i'd like completely rewritten that scene in my mind that, that false memory syndrome man that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, so I'm like, what? What did I actually see on this uh, backstage tour? But whatever they wanted, hey, you you're, see. you're clearing it up. Yeah, I saw what they wanted me to see. Well, that is a theme park thing. Like every, you know, they at Disneyland they have Matterhorn shaped trees, so you don't see the Matterhorn behind them. <laughs> so that's a you know very a very physical version of showing you what we want you to see. <laughs> You know, there, there's a lot of cool little tricks like that in all the parks, like like you wouldn't see. I think you brought this up before. You won't see like the same character in two different places because that would break the illusion uh, if someone had like a photo of him. And so they, they take all those tiny little details very seriously all the way down to making sure that if you're in Tomorrowland, there's no possible way that you can see 
um, like Frontierland or any of the other lands. Like you're in this place, and then once you leave it, there's like this little buffer zone that you go, a little Disney purgatory that you kind of go through, and then you are, you know, emerge in this other land. But they keep them very separate from each other. Yeah, yeah. So I guess I'll <clears throat> bring up because um, I do remember when this was first. I think this was first released on Blu-ray and like like when they did the 3d one like 2011 or whatever um i can actually find that the 3d conversion 2011 okay i'll quit getting the date wrong now <laughs> but on home media okay first time was 2003 i just remember like uh, when it came out in 2011 my daughter was about two and i'm like oh maybe i'll get the lion king and my wife's like no i hate that movie um, really well i want to i want to explore <laughs> this what Th this is where um Kimba the White Lion comes in, or uh, Jungle Emperor, which uh, we, we you looked at a little bit and was not into. Same here, I was looking at a little bit of work yesterday and not getting drawn into it, but it it was a pretty big thing in Japan. It was the first color anime. Um, it had very strong Speed the, Racer vibes. Yeah, it's right. It's actually a Tezuka Productions, which I believe also did Speed Racer. It's a father of manga. It, it has just a lot of those, and I say Speed Racer vibes just because I'm not well-versed on all the different types of like classic anime, but you would see a scene where nothing's moving except for someone's like mouth, and they're like saying a bunch of stuff really fast, and then it cuts to another scene, and now they're just like running 100 miles per hour with the background going, and then it like cuts to it. So there was, it was just like a lot of like jagged um, sort of animation and... I don't know if that yeah, was appropriate um, for the time period or not, but it had, it's a it, very distinct look. It was. Osama Tezuka um, did Astro Boy, not Speed Racer, but it's all, you know, it's all 60s stuff. So it's, it's kind of like, I guess if, yeah, <laughs> I guess if it's someone from Japan, like watched like a Hanna-Barbera cartoon, like you and I would be like, oh yeah, there's, you know, um, Jellystone Park or something. Hanna-Barbera <laughs> has very similar sort of, of <clears throat> techniques that they did too, so. So, yeah, might be that sort of thing. But uh, Kimba, the white lion, was for like 20 or 30 years the mascot for the Lions baseball team in Japan. You know, lots of marketing on, you know, like clothing and stuff. I don't see so much of him now. I think he's maybe not as popular as it used to be. But my wife grew up with Kimba. Hmm. So when the Lion King came out, it actually started a little bit of a controversy because people were like, hey, I saw this animation like, you know, 10 to 30 years ago. And wasn't that kind of the same thing, which it's kind of not. Um, there, there are similarities, but even Tezuka Productions is like, well, you start animating animals in Africa, you're going to get some similarities. Yeah. The, I mean, the, the main similarities was really just the kind of this aspect of the story, except in Kimba, it's humans, right? Humans are the bad guy. It's not like like your uncle Scar. Scar's no longer the bad guy. It's poachers and people that want to take animals and put them in the zoos, essentially. So now the premise would be, you know, well, if if we were talking about the modern Disney one, the 1994 one, right? Then what? Simba is going after humans, and that would make a really <laughs> interesting dynamic for a Disney movie. Uh, but yeah, they they basically cut that part out, and then made it a little bit more like Shakespearean, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's, that's where Bambi could have gone. 
I mean, that's what I started thinking when I was uh, watching a little bit of Kimba. And this is me watching at like high speed, sitting behind the counter at work for a bit while waiting for a student. You know, I'm not giving it like my undivided attention, but uh... <laughs> I, I watched the first like three episodes and i was like okay i think i get i get it it's not gonna get a lot better than this i don't think so maybe <laughs> yeah. it did maybe it had like an exploding you know uh, a huge payoff at the end but i didn't make it all the way through <clears throat> but it, uh, i'm sure the animation style was not going to change apparently though uh matthew broderick who, who voiced the older simba did actually think he was making a kimba remake for uh, a few years like, because you know, animated films, of course, take years of production, and for quite a while, I think he started doing the voice work, thinking it was going to be a remake. Do you think that's because he knew about Kimbo and had seen it? Or... He, he he did. He had seen it. He was kind of a fan, I guess. So did, did it make its yeah. way into the states and <clears throat> gain a following? It was shown in the states, so it would be for me kind of how like when I was a kid. I saw Star Blazers, which is the American version of uh, Space Battleship Yamato. That's something that's never become popular in the States, but I just happened to see it when I was like in the first, second grade, a lot on TV. So for me, I remember it well. I think it, I think it's that kind of thing. Like okay. he saw yeah, it because yeah. it was on American TV, but it didn't like really take in America. So yeah, there much. was a show that, that I remember when I was a tiny little, you know, jerk. And it was called The Noozles, and it was about this girl that had, like, two time-traveling koala bears that lived outside of her house. Um, but, yeah, and, and you look it up, and it's, like, it was wildly popular in Japan under some completely different name. And if I had ever brought up Noozles, people would be like, what the hell are you talking about? But in Japan, it's, like, it has, it's, it's like, a following by itself. Big in Japan. I don't know if I brought it up on this podcast or not before, but another one of those really obscure shows that really sticks in my mind is a um, Canadian early '80s Canadian educational show called uh, "Read All About It." Have you ever have you ever heard of this? It sounds extremely familiar. Okay, it's it's basically this um, kid inherits a newspaper, a small town newspaper, but it ends up getting involved with, like interdimensional aliens and stuff, and it's just like completely insane and mildly disturbing uh i'm making a note <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll send you a, a link for one of those um and and for any listeners like you can find them on youtube and like pretty good quality for okay, early 1979 <clears throat> yeah that sounds right so you know, i definitely remember watching that on sick days from school when i was a kid and uh it kind of creeping me and, out and this is live action or animated Live action with some really cheap matte paintings when they get into space and stuff. Okay, my, <laughs> I guess my version of this was like uh, Ghost Rider, which ended up being like a religious yeah, I, thing. I never even knew that growing up when I watched it. I never knew it was a religious show. I'm pretty sure Rita sure about it's not religious, so you won't have to deal with it there <laughs> at least. <laughs> what are the other voices here? I did find it interesting uh, that we we literally have Darth Vader. Now he's the hero. Well, I guess he's the martyr, more like, but he's the original king. Oh, I, I totally didn't even... I guess I didn't even notice it. So that's what James Earl Jones did, the voice for... Um, God, what's his name? Mufasa. Yeah, Mufasa, of course. No, I, I have that seared into my mind because uh, for Halloween, where I teach, we have the Halloween quiz and one of the cards shows a picture of a, a tiny Simba with the giant Mufasa ghost. And it's like, who? Is, what is this ghost name? Is it Simba, something else, or Mufasa? So, you know, half the kids choose Simba, which is always fun. No, no, Simba's the I almost, one down Yeah, here. I almost said Simba, but yeah, it's the kid. 
Um, yeah, there is also just with the Japanese one, there's Kimba Simba, but, um, that's also been explained by that actually is like the word for lion in that part of Africa. And so it makes sense got that both right. of them would have come out. So did the, the Japanese just mistranslate Simba into Kimba or? They actually call in Japan, they actually called him Leo. Kimba was the name when it was released in america oh so so his name's leo in japan in japan his name is leo yeah which is actually the american (laughs) version of it's (laughs) yeah it's like a big oroboros of like you know when people used to take like a a phrase and look it up in google translate and then take that and then put it back in the google translate and just keep doing it over and over until it turned into just english oh yeah that's a that's a real fun game or uh looking up um uh, Chinese transliterations of American movie titles. That's that's always fun. Uh, my favorite, of course, being Kindergarten Cop transliterated from the, might even be the Japanese title or Chinese title, is uh, Devil King of Children. And what's the original? Kindergarten Cop. Kindergarten Cop is what? De- yeah. It, it, the, the name is changed to Devil King of Children um, <laughs> in the translated, transliterated Chinese title. And then uh, True Lies just becomes Devil True Lies. So I guess they thought Schwarzenegger was the uh, devil or something. Devil True. <laughs> I mean, Can't I need that Japan. poster now, but I guess I wouldn't be able to read it because it, it wouldn't be in English. So. Or American. Yeah, it would be, it would be in Screw like, uh, Chinese characters. Yeah. Mm. <clears throat> But yeah, the name sometimes like, uh, I'm not a giant Pokemon fan, but some people around me are. And living in Japan, I never know if I should call him Ash or Satoshi now. <laughs> so is Satoshi his name in, in Japan? Right. So if you're talking to Japanese kids mm. uh, about it, you would need to say Satoshi. I don't know who Ash is. <laughs> I didn't know that. I just know Satoshi is like the, the Bitcoin dude, the CIA guy that invited, invented Bitcoin, no? Yeah, Bitcoin, Pokemon, collect them all. <laughs> <laughs> And then must be some meaning to that. I don't know. <laughs> I did notice the, why well, I, I definitely tracked uh, just for other, like, you know, the, the dumber side of conspiracies. I did instantly track the sex shot, but I am, I'm not convinced. Um, so do you think it another... says S F X more so than S E X? And the S is pretty questionable from what I can see. Well, so it sounds like, there was an admission that, yeah, we intentionally put letters in this scene. So that part feels like no controversy, no debate. The animators intentionally put letters into that scene. So the only real debate is if it's an E or if it's an F. That's it. Right. Right. <laughs> I want. I think it's an F, but I actually want it to be the E, which I guess is the case for many people. They want it to be the E because that's way funnier. Right. And, and I, I mean, I always go to this, but... What is the actual harm or what is like the, like, what's the practical side effect of you maybe seeing the letter E, like the the word, you know, S-E-X up on the screen for not even half of a second versus the just general subversion that Disney fosters between the child watching it and their parents and the society around them. And how is, how is the letters S-E-X any worse, even like they don't even compare to the kind of evil that Disney does by just them existing as a corp. Anyways, I don't want to go on too much of a tangent, but I, I don't, I don't understand the people that get offended and they point this one out. 
Also, the um, the very young children that you're worrying about destroying their minds, they, they, a lot of them can't read yet. They're not you should be excited, any... right? Oh, my God. You're, you're actually at a third grade reading level, and you're in third grade. This is a miracle in America. <laughs> <laughs> See, I could read like when I was like two and a half or three, and uh, but none of the uh, kids at the preschool could. So my mom caught me hiding behind the couch reading a book because I thought I wasn't supposed to be able to read. <laughs> <laughs> Because none of my friends could read, so I'm like, oh, maybe I'm not supposed to be able to read. <laughs> that's funny. That, that's an interesting uh, little microcosm, I guess, societal pressure and stuff, too, you know? <laughs> um, dirty little secret that you were reading. Yes, exactly. And, <clears throat> excuse me. Sorry, I lost my train of thought there for a moment. Uh, oh, yeah, I was, I was going to say just a, another little teaching English. And we had this book for several years where we were, this was for teaching sixth graders. And I noticed, just talking about subliminal dirty words, it had a bunch of, like, kind of cartoon-looking letters on the cover just in a random order, right? right? But I couldn't help notice that just under the title was FQ. Q's a little set off. F Q's a little set off. U C K on the front of the, this English book. I'm, someone did that on purpose. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm convinced of that. If you ever see a weird thing in an animation or on like a book cover or whatever, I'm pretty convinced, or I'm easy to convince that it was intentional because I've seen so much of it be done intentionally. So that that one's an easy sell, but it's just like the actual message of the harm or the reason is where all the debate comes in i would certainly say the harm is nil uh, anyone who is highly offended by that as a little joke probably has some other issues so where are you at on the uh the the dick castle and little mermaid harm harmful non-harmful <clears throat> that one's a little more noticeable yeah Although, you know, an awful lot of things look like a dick that well, aren't supposed to. I can only imagine, like, there's got to be a designer that was, like, I'm just going to imagine that, like, someone comes to the desk and they're like, I can't believe it, we're getting all these reports, all these parents are upset because of the dick castles, and the guy's just looking at it like, they're the ones seeing the dick, like, they're the ones seeing the dicks, not me. Like, it's them, <laughs> not me, what am I, like, what do I have to do about all this? But but then you watch the scene I'm... with, like, the, the erection and... Yeah. Well, I, I seem to be on a lot of teacher stories today, but here, here's a few from when I did environmental education and where we kind of did little sketches for the kids. We had a whole closet of costumes and stuff. Um, one guy comes up, he's supposed to be the manic scientist. He's got on the goofy glasses and the white coat. He's, you know, trying to teach kids about erosion on the beach. He's, yeah, the sand moves because of long shore drift or something. Long long drift i forget exactly what it was but it, he was like let's abbreviate this as uh lsd you know? <laughs> and then he's just kind of stares at me like oh and then he proceeds to draw the jetty and how the sand moves from the jetty and proceeds to accidentally draw the most phallic looking thing you could scribble on a on a whiteboard so the kids are all out there giggling because they get it <laughs> and then and then for myself we did this sketch where I was supposed to do like a Forrest Gump thing as a tree, and I it's one of the giant foam tree you stick your head in, and I sit down, I'm like, oh, where's my erosion going, and all this sort of stuff, and the kids are just laughing hysterically. I'm like, why do they think this is so funny? I finished, and 
the manager's like, do you know what that looked like to the kids? I'm like, no, what? When you, and she's like, when you sat down, the, um, the foam trunk just went straight up, like in front of your crotch and, 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 and the other side is just foam. So it's kind of fleshy colored. So the kids, you know, so I mean, that's really dirty and subversive. And I didn't know I was doing it the entire time, you know, that's the best kind. A little bit of physical comedy. Yeah. 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 You got but... the age group, right? Yeah, yeah, about 10, 11, 12, that was, it was perfect. But I had no clue what I was doing. And from the outside looking in, it was like, you know, a horrible accident. Or for any any creative type, how often have you put something a little subversive that you think no one's going to notice into your stuff, you know? We all do it. It's it's a pretty, yeah. that Like, if you do want to get into the, the horrors of what can go on in corporate disney that's not really the place to start that's too too much fun and not really enough uh damage i would say <laughs> no the real ones like how much sugar should we add to these disney mickey popsicles to like get them just enough to to want like the second one you know or like all of i don't know like oh like that's the, the <laughs> evil part of the thinking or i i don't know evil is the wrong word for it but that's like the nefarious aspect you must go through the gift store because you're definitely going to buy something. Pretty much that, yeah. shoved you down a log flume, you know? You are going to watch this 15-minute movie about Norway. I guess you don't anymore, but <laughs> you used to. <laughs> now, you just, now you can just start I, I, undressing and walk around the ride and like they stop it and it's a whole thing. That's, that's the new Disney experience. That was in Florida, was it? Yeah, I remember. That's It's a small world, I mm -hmm. think. Are we talking about the slasher guy? Yeah. <laughs> You know, people are drunkenly getting off the, the Mexican boat ride, that sort of thing. So <laughs> I, I don't know. I haven't been to Florida for 20 years. So I, I have this squeaky clean Tokyo Disney Resort image still in my mind. I would just keep <laughs> that one in, in your mind. Yeah. Well, next next time I go, it'll be there anyway. So <laughs> I, I feel like the longer and maybe it's just the more coverage, but I remember when Chuck E. Cheese wasn't like a dangerous place to go when I was young. Like it was actually like a decent, I mean, it's not like the food was ever good, but it was like a, a, a arcade, right? And you would bring people there for yeah. birthday parties and stuff. And then somewhere in like the mid 2000s, it's just where you bring your family to fight with another family. Like it just turned into <laughs> like American gladiators, but you know, it was, it was kind of like Denny's that you could bring your kids to during the day. And now I feel like Disney is almost starting to attract a little bit of that where now it's a little bit like a Denny's or it's a little bit like a Chuck E. Cheese, just outdoors and more people. Um, but man, yeah, I, I don't know. Pe people tend to not bring their best selves to Disney. Even as a kid, I distinctly remember one of my favorite things, and I hope this doesn't make me seem like a complete asshole, but I remember one of my favorite things would just be to like, look for the parent that has the kid by the arm going like, we're going home right now. And just thinking like, you know, you probably flew thousands of miles to like come here because for the kid, right? Like, you, I mean, it's a little bit weird if, if you brought your kids, but it's really for you. And then just like getting upset and because, you know, they're hopped up on sugar and they're like seeing like, it's just sensory overload nonstop for the entire day. Uh, so I don't know. It was just fun, like pointing out, like, oh, those are the that that parent right there. They're about to break. They're about to snap. And then, sure enough, it would always be like grab them by the arm, like up high, and start walking fast. And so yeah, that was yeah. 
the Tokyo experience, you're not going to see that much. Now, you are going to have small children throwing tantrums. That's just going to happen. So you don't get away from that. But, I mean, it's, you'll see, like, high school kids in uniforms at Disneyland. They'll finish at school and go to Disneyland or something because they have a season pass, you know. Adults uh, furring up and they're wearing full Winnie the Pooh suits. And um, everyone's dressed reasonably well. Uh, that That is one thing about Japan. You don't really see people in... A, a worn out t-shirt and sweatpants, sweatpants just <laughs> yeah. rolling around much <laughs> and this is florida after all so yeah yeah um, um so is does does the disney tantrum surpass all cultural bounds like is it does it look the same if you see a, a disney tantrum in japan versus a disney tantrum in you know florida or is there like something distinct about the t- like, are did they like clean it up really nice and then like apologize and bow like in Japan after the tension's <laughs> over? I yeah, I don't think you see people like just like getting redneck threatening on their kids. Of course, the tension itself is the same; it's just in a different language. It's, mm-hmm. That's being that's being <laughs> that age, you know. <laughs> um, I mean, I just got one two days ago because I'm finishing the class. It's like okay, we're putting the toys up. I literally have to go be teaching a lesson online in two minutes, and the kid starts throwing a tantrum. I'm like. Okay, mom, I guess you're dealing with your kid's tantrum right at the end of class because I have to get online and teach another class. <laughs> was this a remote class or was this an in-person? The, the, the kid throwing a tantrum's in-person. Mm-hmm. Uh, the remote class was because a teacher at the main school was sick. So I, it was, so it was, that was a weird experience. It's like, here's five kids in the classroom. So it's not, like a, it's not like a COVID thing or anything. It's just like I'm on one and five kids are on the other side. Uh, fortunately, they're well-behaved because I was like, man, in America, if I had to deal with five kids on Zoom <laughs> that are like 12 years old, this is going to go south really quickly. But uh, fortunately, it, it was fine. <laughs> I'm glad you survived. Yes, yes. Well, I would have survived just like gawking at a computer screen, at least in that case. It's a little different than like being in the room. Um how do you feel about little Simba? Uh, you know, once Matthew Broderick is doing the voice, I'm, I'm pretty cool on that. Um, when it came out, maybe as being the age I was, but I found Jonathan Taylor Thomas, who does young Simba, to be highly igno- uh, annoying to me. This is kind of like the worst of 90s, like, kid voice acting. I mean, I've, maybe maybe we were just a little bit different, but I, I loved Home Improvement. Like absolutely loved Home Improvement. It was like one of my right next to Family Matters, and for whatever reason, I don't think I hated Jonathan Taylor Thomas. I didn't have a, like a crush on. Him. I didn't have like the Tiger Beat um, issue of October nineteen ninety three when he's wearing the gecko shirt. I don't. I don't know anything about him, but the Jonathan. I thought he did a decent job, and actually, I wonder what the heck happened to him after this because it seems like this would have been this stepping stone into like the next projection of the Jonathan, you know, the JTT career spike. And in retrospect, it almost feels like it fizzled out after this. This almost feels like a peak. Or am I just not up on my JTT uh, 411? You are pretty much correct. Um, He guest starred on a show in 2013, once again, on, on Last Man Standing, again in 2015, guest roles on sitcoms in the 2000s right, but we're yeah, talking was... 94 like where was he at in 95 96 99 2000 like the early 2000s it, I... it looks like he pretty much cashed out it's listing years active as 1987 to 2006 
2013 to 2016, where it seems he did a couple guest spots. So it looks like yeah, he, he pretty he much started just, uh, running out of money about 20 years later and was like, all right, time to get back on the saddle. <laughs> that's only four episodes for that return, though. But yeah, it looks like one of those uh, guys that just kind of tapped I mean, out. Respect, which, man. If, if you get a, a starring voice and a popular Disney animation, just like, all right, I retire. I'm, I'm all of like 13 years old. I guess I'm retired now. Anyway, there was a lot of, you know, pushing at the time that he was in the movie. And yes, being a, a probably a few years earlier as a, as a preteen, you know, him, new kids on the block, all the boys just hated them because the girls kept gawking at them and, and not looking at us. So, yeah, so we, we, we had it out for, for JTT and we had it out for the new kids, you know. <laughs> I liked the. I mean, I don't want to put myself on a skewer too much here, but I I liked the new kids on the block. I was... I think I was too young to appreciate that it was, like, geared towards getting, like, you know, teen girls obsessed with them. Like, I don't know. I got I got swept up in it. But I had, like, the sleeping bag and a poster and everything. <laughs> That's cool. Now, what, what was I down with? I remember liking Menundo when they were on Saturday morning TV in the 80s. That's weird. So, That's I'm just weird. Saying, I'm just saying that would have been the same spot. Like, a little younger, right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't have a sleeping bag and stuff. I did like that, but yeah, a few years later. You know, you know that's think, named after a soup with tripe in it, right? With like intestines. I've accidentally eaten that. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, a it's a very popular in South Texas and Mexico. It's very popular as a hangover cure. That that's uh, like the 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 southern version of I guess having a bloody mary in the morning. No, because I used to hit the Vietnamese pho shops in Atlanta a lot, and um. Once or twice, I just like, oh, I'll try something else, and usually ending up with a uh, tripe, which, mm, yeah, I should stick with my regular, I guess. But in Japan, it's all ramen. I don't really do the pho here, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Where else? Oh, yeah, yeah, I had jellyfish in my soup once. That was fun. And fried whale sperm. That was only like three years ago. Didn't know what I ate till afterwards. That's your favorite? Not now. sperm whale. Not sperm whale, whale sperm. Fried. I didn't even know that one of our coworkers was like, how do they get that from the whale? He's like, no, they, they kill the whale. Because <laughs> Japan still whales a bit. And they I, do I've it eaten until some he's dead? <laughs> yes, that's right. Because <laughs> uh, the no, best part are... is like that last bit, right before, you know, like right before you kill him from it, the last part. That's. That's the magical part. That's Fry like it the up. extra, extra virgin olive oil. It has a very ironic them's, name to it. Them's good eatings. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've had that. I've had the whale meat. Um, the thing is, after World War II, they served in elementary schools because it was cheap at the time. Mm -hmm. So by the 80s and 90s, a lot of people felt nostalgic for it. And, and to this day, like, you know, the people in their 80s might want to have a nice uh, bit of whale. Um, I accidentally ate it shortly after I moved to Japan because I thought I was buying sushi tuna, but it was whale, and it's not as good as sushi tuna. <laughs> I <laughs> feel like you're kind of a monster. I sponsored a humpback whale in the 90s, and I feel like all that money just went right into your stomach. Yeah, well, I, hey, I'll make it worse. Right before that is when I was doing the environmental education and worked at a place called the Whale Camp where we <laughs> teach about, you know, ecology and get on boats and look for whales. I mean, we joke like, hey, if we ever run out of money, we can just put a harpoon on the front of this thing and take down a, a yellowtail tuna or something, bluefin tuna, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's like 
six months after that, I'm in Japan accidentally eating whale. So there's the uh, hypocrisy. I should have learned to read Japanese earlier. <laughs> At least that much Japanese. <laughs> anyway, uh, what, what other horrible thing? I've, I've eaten uh, soy-covered locusts before. That doesn't scare me. Yeah, I, I, actually, the taste was fine. It was just crunchy, and the teeth get stuck in uh, the legs get stuck in your teeth, and that made me very unhappy. So, well, so as awkward as this segue might sound, that was the <laughs> that was a weird part of rewatching Lion King and seeing them convince this lion to eat bugs as like his new diet, and and dude, and I took this note too because. I remember originally watching this and the whole uh, Hakuna Matata and the whole premise was just like, do whatever you want. It's almost like go to Never Neverland, become one of the Lost Boys. But there is a rule and the rule is that you're not allowed to eat meat and you have to eat bugs. And it, and the rule <laughs> is a self-preservation rule because the two people that basically instantiate that rule, it's for like everyone that meets them. Like, oh, you can't eat us because we're meat and we're tasty. So they force Simba to eat bugs for... The rat, like, like as he's a growing boy into a child, you know, into like a little baby cub, into an actual adult lion, he's just been eating bugs the whole time. And we do keep getting more increasingly. Y'all are gonna eat bugs in our movies. I mean, uh, Snowpiercer amps it up a few more ticks. If you've <laughs> if you've seen that, where they're, it's all babies in the end, yeah. Eating the and the bug mash and stuff, yeah. Well, you know, at the end of that, it was it was humans they were eating. Oh right, 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 right. But I think they also were. Well, that was for the the poor the people mix, so. got the bugs, and then like the farther you went up the train. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Then yeah. you started getting that that sweet, sweet human meat. Yeah, the the fat bastard. I want my baby back ribs, sort of thing going on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, yeah. People in the back, the the scum, uh, like you and I, eat the bugs, right? So. Or like the lion the king. The that... lion king ate bugs, and he was the king. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like. Um, it's it's i wonder if that's just starting to put in the subconscious thought that hey you know we all might be eating bugs in 50 years you know we'll see i've i've had a few bugs already well so. yeah and, but then they can show us like a clip from the lion king movie and be like look simba ate bugs and he turned into the king yeah be like simba have, have a grub <laughs> i mean we we joke right now, but like legitimately, in in ten years, maybe you go to Walt Disney World and Lion King Land or whatever is serving grubs now, and people are eating it up. That that could be the case. Um, oh, that makes me think. Did you ever see the uh, Lion King show at, the, at Animal Kingdom? I I know what you're talking about. I didn't actually see it. Just as a side night, I went to that like twenty years ago and enjoyed it. So no, two thousand eight, fifteen years ago. So. Anyway, I thought it was cool. It was a nice way to revisit the movie quickly and see some cool costumes, I guess. I Honestly, I, I think it's all entertaining. I, I don't know if I'd ever be swindled into going and seeing like the music. I think I might have actually seen like a, sh a shortened version of the musical at some point when we were doing a project for, I think it was called Disney Dream. It was like one of their cruise ships. But like we saw like a, a smaller version of the big Broadway version of The Lion King. Um, but man, the, the movie itself, I legitimately liked all the songs except for, I think Scar's song. Scar's song was kind of like, I, I appreciate what they were going for, but it, I didn't even remember it 
Like even after it played, and I can't even remember it now. But every yeah, I watched song, it last night. And I'm sitting here looking for it again. <laughs> it, it was it was interesting, but it just it didn't have like the the catchiness to it. The rest of the songs I actually thought were legitimately good. Oh yeah, when I look at the titles here, oh, Circle of Life. I just can't wait to be king. Hakuna Matata. Can you feel the love tonight? Be prepared. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, be prepared. <laughs> like, yeah, when you read the list of the five songs that are in the movie, and you get to that one, you're kind of like, huh? So, <laughs> and and the the can you feel a love tonight song was huge. I think that was Elton John um, that that either did a remix or something. He was involved in oh, that song. He he wrote he wrote the music for all five of those songs. Okay. Um, there was a song later added into the movie called The Morning Report, which. I guess that's also John. Okay, and then Hans Zimmer did the like the rest of the music. But yeah, the 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 brought the showstopper tunes are all uh, written by Elton John. Okay, well, go uh, figure. The, the, all of the music that was good in this movie was written by a professional musician. Yeah. Apparently, Benny Anderson from ABBA was invited first, which seems like they're moving i don't know seems like elton john's a bigger name to me but hey i don't live in sweden uh, so. maybe bigger name but i think abba might be the bigger powerhouse uh you know in the background yeah i don't know about all, the all things lead back to abba yeah okay swedish pop the producers yeah okay that's a good point oh yeah <laughs> um it is and they they are saying here that a mentioning a possible influence of the jungle book just because those are songs that you remember after you've seen the movie so i i guess that mission was accomplished um and they do a, a nod to that to a couple songs right there he's the parrot singing a song at one point and he's like anything but that um so then he starts doing that's the small, small world, world. Song, yeah and then scar is like no no anything but that and then he starts doing i've got a lovely bunch of coconuts <laughs> which that's jungle book right yeah and there was a actually a lawsuit from the, the family, the guy that wrote The Lion Sleeps Tonight, because uh, part of it's sung in here. So they're like, give us some, some of that yeah, sleep. Yeah, although they didn't even through. give it a song. All they all they did was like they were singing it as they were walking. For... It seems like a little bit of a money grab, but uh, whatever. Yeah. I mean, if you're grabbing money from Disney, sure, go for it. If you have a... Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm not going to I'm not gonna die on that hill. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, do you remember... Won't somebody stand up for poor Disney? <laughs> do you remember the original trailer for this? No, definitely not. It's just the circle of life. Kind of like Frozen when they did the Frozen trailer, it was just the Let It Go <laughs> sequence. Um, but yeah, I, to my knowledge, those are the only two movies that have just been here's one musical number. This is the trailer. Hmm. Um, I do remember, I mean, Circle of Life is effective, right? It ends with a big spunk, and uh, you know, that's a, that, that, that makes a good trailer, sure. Let It Go, I remember. I, I, you know, I actually do enjoy watching the movie Frozen, but I remember seeing the Let It Go trailer, and I was like, no, I'm fully out of this, and, like, refused to watch Frozen for, like, a year after its release, because I was like, this is everything I don't want to see in a Disney movie. Well, but, uh, I'm sure they were hurting from that, that their target demographic didn't even want to watch it. Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, yeah. No, I probably got to, yeah, that it had, what, a five-year-old daughter at that point? So, yeah, Frozen made it into the house, and I, I actually... Did, I never saw the You had no one, say but... in that one. I had no say that, in that one. That Disney programming was far too strong for you to ever try and bet. You'd have to like, you'd, you'd have to kind of like um, sort of ruby ridge it and just move your family out into the middle of the woods <laughs> and 
pretend like you know you're in the village now, M Night Shyamalan village. Well, I like Tangled though, so if they had shown me other parts of the movie, I probably would have been like up for it. But since they only showed me the showstopper musical number, I was like, yeah, this isn't for me. <laughs> is there a is there a ten second segment that they could show of Roger Rabbit where you'd be like, ah, oh, that's not for me? Uh, hmm. I, I'm gonna have to stew on that for a moment. <laughs> okay. Um, maybe, maybe if you did the, um, shave and a haircut two bits out of context, I'd be like, no, in the movie, <laughs> well, you know, we liked it. It's great. But if you took that out of context, it just showed me that I might. <laughs> but again, in the movie, it's great. So again, you watch frozen and, and, um, but let it go works. It's in, it's in the right part of the movie, blah, 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 blah. I guess, again, for me, um, I've just always had, like, a, a version of show tunes, which is always, there are a lot of Disney songs I like, but they're, they got to work up a hill for me. So um, maybe because Can You Feel the Love Tonight was being played endlessly on FM radio in 1994, I, you know, was, like, tapped out on it. Like, by the time the movie came out, I was like, oh, God, no. Yeah, and I, you and know, I, was, um, I was doing piano lessons around that time, and that was the song that I had to learn uh, for what for whatever you know recital that we had been planning on so i i knew that song intimately like i was hearing it all the time um just non-stop not that it and i guess i didn't get completely sick of it because i could see that happening in another one um because like when it came out i didn't just immediately go into clockwork orange gag reflex or anything uh circle of life has a production i'm a sucker for production so i, I i've always enjoyed that one quite well um it was funny watching when I was watching Lion King, I was like, wow, I really have not watched this movie for a long time. Again, probably because of my wife's aversion to it. So in the 90s, you know, you saw it every other minute, right? So it's not like I haven't seen it, but I did feel a weird disconnect. And then when Hakuna Matata comes up, again, really like that song when the movie came out. And now it feels like the worst cliche ever. Um, which is not that this movie's fought. This would be the start of the cliche. Yeah, they... you know? it's not a cli- <laughs> it's not a cliche the first time you do it. But now it's just like, oh my god, you know, <laughs> feels like like they're feels like they're coming on too strong with a cliche, which just because it's been repeated so many times. Well, also the Hakuna Matata in this. I don't think it's controversial, but, but people might be able to argue against this. But it almost feels like one of the first times that hedonism is marketed directly towards children without like a moral downside, right? Like like it's sort of uh, Pleasure Island, but Pleasure Island, you know, is is a horrible, horrible place because all of the scary shadows and the music and the perspectives and the fact that you turn into a donkey and then maybe you never get to leave, Um but I can't think of a lot of other, and even I guess in Dumbo, he they get drunk, and that kind of doesn't happen, and, and like nothing bad happens to him from it. But in this one, Hakuna Matata is legitimately forget about all your responsibilities and your worries and your cares, even if you're a king and you've got an entire kingdom that relies on you. Screw it, like who cares? <laughs> and the only thing that brought him back was was I guess just falling in love. Um, but but without that, he. The Lion King just could have seen itself to a logical conclusion where he just turns into a freaking beach bum and never does anything else with his life and eats bugs. I guess Bear Necessities sort of did that a bit in Jungle Book, just for which they were apparently 
consciously thinking of. So, but yeah, um, Ma- Mowgli wasn't supposed to be like a king or anything. I no one think. was waiting Maybe on Mowgli for anything. Sense. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, if you want to, if you do want to go with something like that, feels a little subversive. It's uh, you know. Nala's doomy eyes, which is partly because it's probably showed up in like too many memes over the past five or six years as well. But I'm like, okay, that that's a that's a weird vibe. <laughs> and then they have him wrestling. I'm like, that's but, that's this is as uh, this is as close to as sexy as you're gonna get in a um, animated Disney film. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, that that and the deleted scene of Roger Rabbit where Jessica falls out of the car, but. Right, right, right. But but Roger Rabbit is a little more adult oriented. I mean, they made it a touchdown, right? Where this is mainline anime at Disney, which it's again, I'm not like trying to be prudish. I'm like, okay, there that that was a pretty horny scene for a kids movie, I guess. <laughs> I mean, she gives the eyes, so and any adult watching it probably saw that one was like, oh, those are those eyes. <laughs> yeah. Um. It wasn't as bad as a lioness doing it doesn't seem as bad as I remember seeing some in Bambi where it's like, ooh, that feels it's like rabbits or something. And I'm like, I don't like that. <laughs> so it's not like, eh, they're lions or they can rip you apart. They can do what they want. <laughs> you go ahead and break them up. <laughs> um, the other kind of weird one is uh, Rafiki, which is kind of a kind of interesting uh, shaman character shamanistic character which i thought was kind of interesting I, you know we have sorcerers and things but this is the first time i think in disney we've had sort of the uh well, indigenous in well that's that's why you wouldn't have like a wizard here but and who, who was doing his voice no godfrey's the last movie oh jeremy irons a scar of course nathan lane oh sorry rafiki is not really a name i know uh, he oh he's a guy from Benson he is Benson from the TV show Benson okay that's that's kind of interesting I didn't know that I was thinking Rowan Atkinson is Zazu so I'm just spitting out names uh, while we're on at the hyenas Whoopi Goldberg Cheech Marin and Jim Cummings because Chong was busy that day uh, <laughs> that that is a disappointment this it would have I would have liked to have had a, a bit of a Cheech and Chong reunion in this movie is that so. true that that they weren't in it because Chong was busy. Yeah, they'd wanted Cheech and Chong to be the hyenas, and uh, Chong was unavailable at the time. So um, interesting. So they replaced him with Whoopi Goldberg and Jim Cummings. Well, one of those doesn't really yeah. count because one of them was Ed, and Ed just is like, I don't even know what word you're allowed to use to call him anymore. But he he was the he was a word that you can't say anymore uh, in in the movie. Like, <laughs> He was like, the eyes were wonky and like his tongue was sticking out and like he never made anything, like no, had no coherent lines or anything the whole time. Yeah, he's got a laugh though. Only communicating through laughter. Yeah, yeah. So, but anyway, Whoopi Goldberg and Cheech Marin is an interesting pairing. Whoopi Goldberg just wanted to be in the movie. I mean, when Whoopi wants to be in something, she's in something, right? She That's why she's on Star Trek The Next Generation. I wonder if, if uh, like, Cheech and Chong were like beefing at this point. Uh, and and maybe it was just like a I don't know because it, it, it would retrospect to be like man you could have been in the Lion King and you what you were busy what you were too busy to be in the Lion King what are you kidding me? Yeah, it's the B line Disney movie at the time. Yeah, uh, Rowan Atkinson also kind of had to be convinced he wasn't really into it at first. There's uh, Zazu. Um, what, what is what was his beef 
If I can remember the next time that I talk to Tommy Chong, I will 100% ask him how he feels about not being there and what the hell was he doing that was so important. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, it's not an interesting story, except that he didn't want to do it, and then he did it. Yeah, yeah, just as Tommy Chong was unavailable with no no details. So... (laughs) checking the I, i'm just spitting out names i mean jeremy irons is scar that's a that's a great voice for scar um i don't i don't think many people sound more sinister than jeremy irons when he wants to sound sinister who else was up for that okay other people up for scar you can tell me if any of these other people would have made a better scar because all of them might have as great as jeremy irons is who, who do who do you want your scar to be we got jeremy irons also considered Tim Curry, Malcolm McDowell, Alan Rickman, Patrick Stewart, and Ian McClellan. Like, all of those would have worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, honestly, all those would have worked. Nah, Patrick Stewart, I, I, he can do an evil voice, but he he would have needed to do the Mufasa, wouldn't he? I don't know. The re- he, he doesn't usually have that, like, sinister sound behind his But voice, that makes but the it all the more sinister, no? Like, this, like, kind-hearted, uh, like, warm-sounding voice that kills you and your father? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that'd be a spin. Yeah, I guess I'm just thinking Tim Curry, Malcolm McDowell, and Alan Rickman, it would have been like the same thing, slightly different pitch. <laughs> now, those are three hyenas that I could have got behind. Oh, yeah. Just yeah. them just like making little digs and jokes the whole time and then laughing and their, their little uppity laughs. Is this the most successful bit of star voice casting? Because usually an all-star movie can be... I guess Toy Story comes across pretty well also with its voice cast. Well, but... if, if you rewind back a little bit, like they still had, I guess, star-studded films, but it feels like it was at a different level as where we're at here in Lion King at this point. Because you rewind time a little bit, and they were just reusing uh, the same voice actors and the same you know singers over and over up until very recently. Yeah, because I'm seeing here, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I would say there's a good uh, eight, it's seven or eight people you call A-listers in this movie, which is and is that pretty, including and, and, Elton John? That's not including Elton John. So yeah. So imagine that. I imagine go, when you're putting together the star-studded cast of musicians in a movie, and then you're like, and that's not even including Elton John. Right. Yeah, I'm sitting here wondering if this, if you could even get this many people together anymore. Hey, eh, you probably could. Uh, I, I don't know what the new the new deal is with the actors anyway, but <laughs> they, they can AI recreate all of the A-list. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking Disney, yeah, they don't have they don't even have to anymore. They just sample all their old music and all their old works, and that's it. Hit a button. I mean, isn't that basically Darth Vader now? I mean, James Earl Jones is not really at the mic. I don't believe. I'm the wrong person for Star Wars, him. man. I never liked Star Wars. I, I, I It's just um, one or two shows ago, I've lost track of those, but they had Darth Vader, but I think they were just, you know, using like like a voice bank to recreate him or something. It's not because, you know, James Earl Jones is like, what, 90 something? He didn't want to do that. <laughs> or maybe he did, and, and that's cool. But um, I do remember Roger Ebert being they resampled all of his voice. So when he couldn't speak anymore, he could do the Stephen Hawking thing, but like in his real voice. So that, that was kind of cool. 
He just took all, you know, what, 30 years of at the movies and he could say whatever he wanted to through that. <laughs> um, what do you have in your notes? Uh, you say they were a little slim today, but slim, but, but they're meaty. So what they, what they lack okay, in, uh, in, yeah. Gazelle meat. So I just want to lead with the, the Lion King is about the JFK assassination. Oh, okay. That's cool. And that, I'm just thinking, yeah. Cause I was, you had me so much on golden bow. I'm just like, I'm watching golden bow the movie here, but we, we can twist that a little. <laughs> Well, it's it's uh, it's totally about JFK, and Simba is JFK Jr. and Scar is essentially LBJ slash Bush and Company Skull and Bones. They literally live in this elephant graveyard, all Skull and Bones. So, um, and I'm not saying that when the Lion King was made, someone sat down and they're like, we're going to write a movie about the JFK assassination and Skull and Bones is behind it. All I'm saying is that these two things like just fit each other so well, like a, like a glove almost. And that the whole movie of Lion King is kind of about that King kill 33 ritual. It's about the, the King and the King's current state represents the health of the entire kingdom. So when Mufasa is running things, right? Everything is fertile. Everyone's like well-fed, except for maybe the hyenas because they're like the bad guys. But everything's like pretty much as it should be. Natural order is in balance. Everything's restored. And then once Scar kind of realizes that Simba is going to be the next in line, he's going to be the one to inherit that kingdom, right? So Mufasa is showing Simba how to kind of be this successful ruler. And when Scar scar kind of subverts that he does it at this peak of mufasa kind of handing that torch over to simba where simba is not strong enough to lead the kingdom on his own so when scar basically kills uh mufasa he inherits all that energy and he even admits that like he doesn't know what to do with it right like it's, it's too much for him and he's just like giving it over to the hyenas like hey you guys can do with whatever this power is you guys figure it out. I'm the one that was able to like kill the old king, but I'm not the new king. Essentially, he kind of was as a as a figurehead, but it was really just this mass of, you know, these hyenas, these scavengers, and you know, like vultures, essentially. And again, like that's kind of the CIA a little bit, where it's like LBJ, right? LBJ's like, yeah, I'll I'll take over this mantle. I'll get sworn in on the plane while this body double's head is dripping all over the place. And then when we land, I'll just hand it over to you guys. And then you guys being the intelligence networks, the CIA, the skull and bones, right? I'm going to hand it over to you guys that know about the shadows and know how to like move in silence and darkness. And like, you understand this world. And sure enough, what happens in Lion King, as soon as Scar takes over, he turns the kingdom into skull and bones. It all becomes, you know, destitute and people say that they're starving and that's even how Simba gets led back is because his his girlfriend, I don't remember her name again. What is her, what's her name? Nala. But he, Nala he, he sees Nala and Nala is only this far away from the kingdom because there's nothing left because Scar essentially performed this King Kill 33 ritual and then turned the, the keys of the kingdom over to Skull and Bones. So I... I could not see that over and over and over again as I was watching this. Every every single kind of aspect of it, uh, even all the way down to like the 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 staged murder, where like the person that actually did it 
and directly benefited from it doesn't get any of the attention. I mean, I'm not saying that Simba and leave Harvey Oswald that, that, that strains the analogy a little bit too much. But <laughs> so, so there's that aspect. And then the Rafiki, right? The shaman King, he's kind of like the wizard in this one. I thought that that was such an interesting way of telling the same kind of Disney's tale over, but this is like very much a cult. Like he, even in the very beginning, he anoints him with like this red, fruit juice of some kind with his thumb and then as you go deeper into the movie he like has this drawing of Simba on the wall and he'll rub the same fruit juice on like the the drawings forehead and this is a very direct version of that as above so below uh, sort of magic right that this is that sympathetic magic where if I draw a picture of you and I treat it just like it's you then it is you and the things that I do to it happen to you in real life it's like a voodoo doll right like the whole thing with simba drawn in chalk it's essentially like a good version of a voodoo doll in a way um so no, I, I thought that was cool to have shamans i think every disney movie should have a shaman in it oh yeah 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 Sh- shamans for every movie one of, one of my favorite uh movie lines ever is uh boy very pertinent the the men who stare at goats which ends with the line like all shaman they return to the sky and that's one of my favorite movie quotes <laughs> it's a good movie i think they didn't do the the story of of that justice but yeah yeah it's been, been about 10 i should probably revisit the men who stare at goats and, and i, I got another one here for you too that the the bird zazu um and is this is mr bean right this is rowan atkinson Mr. Bean, that's right. So the, the bird represents monarchy and imperialism um, invading Africa and wanting to establish like that this this imperial sort of order, right? And there's even a specific line um, where he says something like, oh, if, if this is how you guys are going to rule this place, then I'm leaving. And it's like, you know... How how dare you native animals from this area want to, you know, treat it as you will, and then he's going to go back. But he's got the British accent, and he's very proper, and he's, like, always tr- – like, he kind of sees himself, I think, as this, like, Jiminy Cricket moral guideline, right? He, he sees himself as, like, the good angel on the shoulder. But really, he's the imperialist. Like, he kind of – even in, in the voice acting, he's kind of out of place in this whole movie – and he represents this right hand of the monarchy, uh, of the actual king, you know, of, of um, Mufasa. But he's like the administrative arm, you know? And I don't know, there's there's nothing more imperialistic than being the administrative arm and, like, telling people how everything should be and, you know, being the nanny for everyone. Well, then Mr. Bean is citing the wrong one. He's uh, quite literally an, an Edmund Blackadder for uh, Rowan Atkinson's other big role <laughs> that, that works a lot better i was also just thinking when you're going on the um the the jfk thing i was like well we live in a crappier reality then because that means simba went down in a plane in the late 90s i mean what happened to jtt yeah he just kind of vanished okay <laughs> <laughs> i mean that was the jfk jr story and also the hakuna matata first of all they say no rules for the rest of your day, but there is a rule. You have to eat bugs. You're not allowed to eat them. So that, right. so there is a rule. It's a lie right off the bat. But also tell me what Hakuna Matata in, in its true nature, is that not do what thou wilt? Is this not Crowleyan <laughs> philosophy? 
I feel it's just two different cultures and languages expressing the exact same archetype, right? Hakuna Matata, do what thou wilt. Same exact thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I really think it's the thing with Crowley is a lot of things he wasn't wrong. He was just an asshole. So if you amend that with do us that will, don't be an asshole. Now we have a working life philosophy. <laughs> yeah, but that's a big but, man, because what if what if doing as thou wilt means being an asshole? Then maybe don't do it. I don't know. Uh, anyway, anyway, yeah, I, I feel like that little amendment, which Crowley, of course, never added that amendment to. Why would he? But uh, <laughs> it was too busy being wicked, man. <laughs> and and I got I got one other. No, this is a little bit of a tangent, but uh, it's I guess it's it's entertaining for me, and that's what really counts here. Right, but yeah. there's a scene where Zazu is locked up and he's singing a plantation song. He's singing, you know, nobody knows the trouble us. And that song, I've got such a an interesting memory of that one because uh, Disney related. I was I was doing some travel with uh, some of the the guys I worked with at Disney, and we had to fly across the country somewhere, and we're stuck in the Atlanta airport. And the the guy that I'm with, he was he was essentially like a backup singer for O Town, which was like the backup band for NSYNC. And so anyways, he was like a really talented vocalist. And no matter where we were at, he's always like singing and doing little did. So we're stuck in the Atlanta airport of all places, and he's like uh, you know like trying like oh woe is me, our flight's delayed, and he starts belting this song. You know nobody knows the trouble I've seen. But he, and then there's like an audience forming, but then he quickly realizes it's not like a good audience of people that are impressed. He's looking around at like the workers in the Atlanta airport, like, what is this white kid with the, the you know, the bleached blonde perm hair <laughs> singing plantation songs in the middle of this airport? So I don't know. I always thought that was funny. That's good. Yeah. My brain went to space balls where the princess is singing it. She's a bass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great, but, uh, with, honestly, better than Star Wars. Fight me. I'm not going to fight. I, I was the guy telling you to go watch the holiday special. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Don't trust me. <laughs> um, I guess. I guess I, I was thinking like you mentioned the JFK, which uh, I guess slightly derailed my thought, but is really interesting. But yeah, I was definitely doing this like full on like, oh, each movie is a stronger golden bow than the last one with, I guess, your analogy also being kind of the uh, fitting in perfectly fine because you're you know taking out the king and gaining power and all that. So, yeah, the, the uh, golden bow would fit better into this one, too. Be, but there's no um, lineage with, with like the maternal aspect. This doesn't. This is very much patriarchy and not matriarchy, right? Because mm. it goes directly down to Simba because he's the son. And it's it's almost implied, they don't write it in here, but it's almost implied that like if Mufasa had a daughter, then this story wouldn't have played out the same. Like it wouldn't have been passed down to the girl Simba and never would have went to Nala, for example. Um, so like this is very much a patriarchal system. So in the Golden Bow sense, this this is already post Golden Bow subversion. This is Bohemian Grove, right? So maybe this is mm. it's the JFK assassination by the Bohemian, but like they're taking out like a Bohemian Grove system. So I don't know. It's it's like two forces of evil fighting each other. I am curious what we're going to find in Pocahontas because I haven't seen that since 1996. So lots um, of problematic point, situations. I'm sure at this point. See, I. 
more recently read, you know, his books about that. So that should like kind of be weird when I watch that one. <laughs> yeah. How old was she when she met uh, the, the guy? Cause she younger than the movie. She, suggests. she died when she was 20. So anything that happens in the movie absolutely happens when she's a teenager, essentially. Cause she dies one year after no longer being a teenager. Yes. So, I mean, this movie does, like you said, it's very patriarchal where Disney has a lot of princesses or uh, things so, that are medieval age young. So that, that's <laughs> an interesting, mostly stays away from well, that. It's an interesting segue because they, they don't go all the way Disney princess running <laughs> the show, but they go from, I guess, like Lion King to the boy, you know, the boy king into Pocahontas, but Pocahontas is like a tragic tale, is it? I honestly, I don't remember the full ending. I, I have a feeling they don't give it like the actual realistic treatment as in typical Disney fashion. Does she just like live forever and they happily ever after and they move to a, a little mansion in the clouds? Yeah. Anyway, I'm just, I'm now that we've kind of uh, started drawing this line on these movies, I'm wondering how far it's going to go and how much thicker the the pen stroke will be, you know? <laughs> well, I gotta say, man, I, I just recently saw the newest movie wish. Have you, do you know, have you even heard about Wish? I, I, I've heard of it. I have not seen it. It is, it is by far the most like occult black magic, -y, subversive version of a Disney movie that I've seen so far. I haven't seen every single one that's come out in like the last 10 years, mm -hmm. but man, like, it's like they are literally drawing and worshiping pentagrams and they are actively saying like, stop, basically stop following your religions and just like, you're a star. Everyone's their own star. That is also a direct Alistair Crowley quote. That is what I was saying. Did Crowley yeah, say that? <laughs> the, the, the whole, the whole freaking movie is essentially like wish, like, you know, wish upon a star, but you're the star. So wish for yourself, you make it happen. Which I'm um I'm, I'm conflicted, right? Because there's like the the self reliance aspect, which I'm for. I am pro self reliance, you know, bootstrap all the stupid memes and everything. But then it's also like, you know, you're a star. Um, all you need is yourself. And there's like a that weird Crowleyan narcissism and like maybe Satanism in that, like like classical Satanism. Well, that's that's where the whole you know namaste concept comes because I see the God within you, right? So I'm not necessarily uh, dwelling on my omnipotent power as as a star. <laughs> but yeah, maybe maybe I'll have to skip ahead and do wish. Um, <laughs> Uh, I don't think, I think I got through all of them. Yeah. I, oh, and there's also a, somebody says at one point, you're our only hope to Simba. I think Nala says you're our only hope to Simba. And I felt like with, you know, James Earl Jones doing the, a voice in here and hearing you're our only hope that had to be an inside reference to star Wars, right? Yeah. My note here is Obi-Wan Simba, you're our only hope. So I definitely caught on that. Oh, and then I so I wrote that Rafiki is like a hybrid of Lee Scratch Perry and Yoda. So, <laughs> <laughs> which I, I somewhere I got uh, my wife and I did kind of a a year after honeymoon went into Epcot Animal Kingdom, and I, I do remember we were trying to get pictures with every um, 
in-character monkey we could, so we, we do have a picture of us with Rafiki somewhere in there. <laughs> putting blood on your head? <laughs> yeah, putting blood on my head. Yeah, it was cool. <laughs> but yeah, we were monkey obsessed. So And it, like, I, I don't think I remembered who it was. Like, I recognized him. I didn't remember what movie he was from. I was like, monkey, let's get a picture. <laughs> So that, that's how we also the, the monkeys don't have lines. You want a picture with Mickey or something and you're waiting an hour, but you want a picture of Rafiki, there's usually nobody there. So at least there wasn't in 2008. Well, <laughs> him throwing his feces at everyone tends to make the lines go down a little bit. Yeah. No, that'd be the hyenas more, right? I guess hyenas don't have the hands to throw feces. Got to have some proper hands to do that. Um, Anyway, I was asking because I was thinking, oh, maybe we should look at Wish sooner, but Christmas is coming soon, so the next one is going to be The Nightmare Before Christmas, yeah, I think of that course, works out. which is chrono- well. chronologically correct. It works out nicely. That's right. Um, Christmas isn't quite there, but maybe people are thinking about their presents, trying to segue to, to your, your thing. Oh, yeah. You're looking for <laughs> presents? We got presents now. In fact... I've got, <laughs> we've got so many comics now. Dude, my, my living room is just completely full of stock of stickers. And, oh, I even got a new one today. I'll, I'll, sh- I mean, this is mostly an audio podcast. So the, the few people that watch it on my channel and anyone listening, but I've got this little, uh, grow your own homunculus kit that I'm starting to work on. Um, so it's, I don't want to give too much away, but like, we're definitely branching <laughs> out of just stickers and comics and like printed uh like reading materials we've got a bunch of toy sets that are on the way i've got um i've, I've got a stanley kubrick space landing little uh sort of like uh, not legos but lego-esque right like brick compatible little sets uh, but i got a whole bunch of those ones coming out um along with these little like homunculus growing kits uh, it's it's going to be kind of fun. And then the big one now is that anyone can go to chaostwins.com and scoop up an issue of the Chaos Twins from me and Sam Tripoli. And I, I was literally just talking to him right before we started this episode. And it sounds like we're going all out. We're doing the next five issues. Uh, so a fi- official announcement here on a cult Disney that the Chaos Twins is going to get <laughs> another five issues. So I'm going to be plugging that one. So sit back and just get ready to hear me plug chaos twins for the next year plus chase that with the musical i you're you're not lying i was telling you after we wrap this up i'll play you some uh some occult disney theme songs i've been working on (laughs) um as for my end i i do digital stuff you don't touch i guess i do podcasts you can support that on patreon podcastio podcastius we also talk about really good movies and really bad movies as rated by IMDb users on Films and Filth. Uh, I think I already mentioned I talk about The Twilight Zone. That's Time Enough Podcast. Did I mention Space 1999? That's Podcast 1999. So I like to talk about all forms of media. So dig into some of that. Okay. Yeah, I guess it's good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Hakuna Matata it and then go strolling through the rice fields, I guess, after after hearing a few of these tunes. <laughs> that sounds problematic. 